0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Talk. We are so happy that you joined us on this evening because this is a very important conversation. And I am grateful to be joined by some heavy hitters tonight who are sharing their candid thoughts around mental health and substance use in the league and among professional athletes. And so first, I just want to welcome everyone tonight. Good to see you all.
1: Good to see you, Joy. Thank you, Joy. Thank Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you for being here tonight. And, you know, we want to encourage people who are listening tonight. We know that whether you are seeing this as the replay or joining us live, make sure that you comment, make sure that you like, make sure that you share this with as many people as possible because we know just how important it is to get this message out. And to have this platform tonight, I think, is important. So I want to start with the pressures faced by professional athletes. Tonight we have you know former and current players, and it's something that many of us may not understand. So I wanna start with you, Beasley, tonight. As someone who is a former player, but also the CEO of the NFL Alumni Association, what do you feel it's like, or what do you remember about your experience and what you hear for what it's like to be in the NFL and the, the pressures?
2: Well, uh, first of all, it's the ultimate honor to uh, be an NFL player. It's a dream come true for all of us. It's a, um, it's a goal that many of us set uh, in high school or, or maybe even before high school, we told people, told our family and friends that we would be a professional uh, athlete one day. But the fact is that the average career is only three years. So the great vast majority of, of players are, are hanging on by a thread, Uh, your worst fear. We all have worst fears in life. But for a professional athlete, you're worried about uh, getting cut, the coach calling you, an assistant coach saying the head coach wants to see you bring your playbook, uh, knowing that your time is done. There's so much on the line. You've got to play three seasons in order to get certain benefits. Uh, Just all of your friends, your family watching you play. The pressures just mount every year. Trainers and team doctors have a responsibility to get you back on the field. Uh, you feel the pressure to not let a teammate down, to, to, to make a play. It is constant, constant pressure. There are very few of us who, have, who get in the league, feel comfortable, have seven or eight years where you know you're going to make the team, And then you realize when you get a little older, then that pressure starts back again like it did when you were young. So it is a constant that players deal with.
0: And Matthew, I wonder for someone who's currently in the NFL at this time as a player for the New England Patriots, what do you find it's like? Um, What are the stressors? I know Beasley um, outlined it very great for us. But what do you find like it is today and what you hear your teammates talking about?
3: You know, I feel as though Beasley hit the nail right on the head. Uh, For a lot of guys, job security is everything. And you look at everyone, obviously, guys are in different situations. Young players usually don't have families. But I think about guys like myself who have families, wives, children, who are depending on, you know, their husband and dad to have a job. And I think that also adds stress and pressure. Am I going to make the team? Am I going to have to move my family? Where are my kids going to go to school? Is my family going to come with me? So uh, the very nature of this business is, is a temporary one. Uh, NFL, we always joke, stands for not for long. And I think to Beasley's point, uh, guys are trying to maximize the window that they have, but they understand that change is inevitable, that guys oftentimes get cut, get traded, have to move and change and switch around as far as where their families are located. So all those things factor in and, and they become very stressful. It's an, a very overwhelming thing for a lot of guys, especially young players uh, who, at the same time, are finding out who they are as young men, uh, trying to figure out who they are and where their lives are headed off the football field as they, as they try to navigate their careers as well.
0: And I can imagine just a follow-up question to that, Matthew. Do you find that there are times, and I don't know if it's something that's even talked about, that players dealing with that level of stress may turn to alcohol or other things just to cope with all of the pressure. Do you hear those types of comments?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that over the course of my career, whether guys drink almost nightly or you know, doing recreational drugs uh, to try to just take their mind off the things that are going on and the things that they're faced with. And I think, you know, unfortunately, that's a product of The culture that we live in—a culture that has told us for so long that as men we have to be a certain way—it's not okay to ask for help. It's not okay to talk to someone about what's going on with you. And you know, I think for so long we've kind of been stuck in that pattern. But it's nice to see now uh, more athletes bringing awareness to the issues that they that they're facing off the court or off the gridiron and trying to have conversation and dialogue about this. Cause I think that's the only real healthy way to attack some of these issues.
0: Mm-hmm. And I know, yeah, Joy, you know, can I speak- jump in
1: on that
3: as sure, well? Go and, ahead.
0: Kind of, I know you have a lot to with, say, Derek.
1: Um, you know, I, I t- completely agree with uh, Matt and uh, with what Beasley said earlier. Uh, when he's talking about a culture, you're talking about a very alpha dominant, very warrior-based type of person. It's almost like a mercenary. Uh, hanging on by a thread, like no true, no truer statement was ever said. Um, most of the league, about 95% of us, are lucky to be there, and there's a 1,000 guys that could take our place. Now you got the 10% of guys, that are God-touched. they're God-touched. They're just better than the rest of the world, and they're good to go. But uh, you know, a guy like myself, I was in the right place at the right time, made the right catch in front of the right coach, and got into the league. There was a 1,000 other guys on Planet Earth that could, that could do my job at the same level. I was lucky to be there. And, and going back to what Matt was talking about, from the days we started football at Pop Warner Pee Wee High School, it is very machismo, very tough guy mentality. Any weakness is going to be used against you, not only by the other team, but by your own players who are behind you. You're a starter trying to take your job. Any weakness may get a play taken away from you. You may not get the ball. You may not be in a crucial situation. So you we learned this culture. Um, early on, like grade school, high school, then we get through college. By the time you get to the NFL, you don't learn a new culture. You live in the culture that you, that you've come up in is, Hey man, you're a tough guy and you may have broken bones. Well, we all got broken bones. You may have concussions and headaches. We all got concussions and headaches. I'm not going to talk about it because I don't want my team to know I got issues. I don't want my coaches. And I sure as heck don't want the trainers to know about it because there's other guys knocking at the door, trying to take my spot right now. Like, it's not a job security. So it's a mentality that we we grow up with.
0: Well, you know, Derek, just kind of um, touching on that, because I think your personal story when you were, you know, playing for the Detroit Lions shows just the level of pressure. I understand that you played with a broken neck.
1: Yeah. So Tell me uh, about that. Again, lucky to be there. And uh, Beasley and and the other guys on this call will understand that – You know, I made the team as a third string tight end, Uh, special teams guy, you know, barely used. Well, as my fortune would have it, the two guys in front of me both went down with with season ending injuries and I was thrust into the spotlight. And it was dream come true. And uh, I got the opportunity to to live at that level where I'm playing. I'm I'm, I'm getting in the game. I'm making a, you know, you know, legitimate contributions. And running down on a singular kickoff, I put my head into somebody. He went one way, my body went one one way, my head went the other. And, uh, you know, the last thing I was going to do is go report the fact that I was injured because a guy at my level and lucky to be there type of guy, like, damn, I'd have been gone, like immediately gone, paycheck cut off, job over, you know, a life's worth of work and goals taken away. So, you know, the the pain wasn't going to stop me there, right? So... So yeah, I ended up playing four games with it, went home, and uh, when I came back in the off season, they noticed that my right arm was 19 inches and my left arm was 12. They said, what's wrong with you? I was like, I don't know, and, you know, went on to go find surgery. They found a bunch of bone fragments. I crushed a bunch of vertebrae and, you know, messed up my spinal cord. You know, I'm healed now, you know, by the grace of God and by the providers that worked on me. But um, yeah, like I hit it, and and, and I'll be honest with you, I'd do it again.
0: Wow. You know, when you think about that, that's pretty deep to think that you played for four games with a broken neck, knowing that you just didn't want to lose that position that you had fought, you know, fought so hard. You said you're lucky to be in this position to be able to do that and to know just that level of pressure just shows what the athletes are under. So, Patchwork, when you hear that, um, does that bring you back to the days of you playing and what the athletes dealt with during your seasons?
4: Absolutely. I just want to give uh, some examples, right? People who are listening right now, watching us. i give you an example of um, in my off day, that's Tuesdays for the Jaguars. I came and got my lift in. They bring in 10 offensive linemen to replace me. Every Tuesday, they bring 10 free agents in to 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 make me more expendable. Okay? Then you have 60 snaps on average in an NFL game. If you screw up on three snaps, that gives you 95% grading. Uh, in the normal world, that's an A plus. In football, you get cut. A 95 percent rate is not good enough for you to stay on the team. If Peyton Manning gets sacked three times, or Tom Brady gets hit, those guys make 20 to 30 million a year. If you screw up three times out of 60 snaps, you will get benched or cut or else. So you never surrender. You never show any pain or weakness. And I can just go along with all the gentlemen on the call. I mean, you never show any weakness. You don't report injuries. Period.
0: Wow. That's really deep. And you know, when I think about it, it probably leads a lot of athletes to self-medicate, right? To self deal with this. And Matthew, have you seen that where people will self-medicate or try to find a way to deal with this instead of saying, Oh my gosh, I'm struggling just because of all the pressure.
3: I have. And it's really sad. Um, I mean, you can see guys start out down a path and then they kind of get off track And their career careers spiral out of control and they have issues that they carry with them for years beyond the game. And you wish that that guy would have just asked someone for help, had talked to someone, had had an outlet to just deal with some of the things that he was dealing with, whether it was pain, depression, um, just dealing with stress and things like that. So I've seen it more times than I would have liked over the course of my career. Um, I know having a father who played this game as well, I, I saw it growing up with former teammates of his, and it's something that's, that's really, really sad, um, but it, it's, it's become a part of our culture, unfortunately, and I think you know, it's up to, to the people that um, support this game and build this game to try to find a way to reverse that trend. We've got to try to find a way to change our culture for the better.
0: Yeah, I think that's so important in terms of being able to change the culture, because one of the things that I think is really interesting, and I wonder if you could touch on this, maybe Beasley or Derek, um, not only are you dealing with the mental stress, the emotional stress, trying to hide your weakness, trying to stay in the game, but then you have easy access to alcohol and drugs, um, do either one of you want to share what you think it is like? Because I can only imagine being a celebrity, you go to a bar or any place and it's easy access. You know, people are giving you stuff for free.
2: No, that that is uh, that's very true, especially uh, in my day. Um, you know, I think these younger players are monitored closer uh, than we were. They have more sophisticated drug testing and and uh, people are aware looking at the history uh, of what happened to players. So they, they, they try to coach these guys better and, and, and monitor them better than they did in the 70s and 80s uh, when I was a player in the NFL. So it, it was a different world. You go into a bar, everything is offered to you. Uh, it takes a certain kind of strength and uh, discipline in order to walk away from a situation that might look like it's going to be fun. Um, and and addiction just, it, it comes in and it takes people out. Uh, I can remember the Giants drafted a guy who was bigger than me, stronger than me, meaner than me. And, but what took him out was he fell into a, um, a, a desire to use cocaine, you know, powerful drugs like cocaine. And that was his response to celebrity and fame and being a high draft choice. And I didn't even have to beat him out. The addiction beat him out. The, the drugs kept him from taking my job. We've talked a lot about taking jobs. And then from a mental standpoint, Joy, uh, you mentioned mentality. We have to fight. I'll speak for myself because these are these, the other three guys I'm looking at right now, they are warriors. And I know how I used to think when I was where they are, when I was their age. And, um, we, we, I had to fight me too. You know, it's, it's the pressure, the, the fear of breaking your neck like Derek had to go through. There are fears that are present in the NFL. So we're fighting ourselves as well. And that is a pressure that leads to things that are abnormal.
0: Mm-hmm. I can imagine. And Derek, just from your experience, um, What do you think in terms of the access that you experienced um, in terms of drugs? I know we talk (laughs) about alcohol, but even drugs.
1: Yeah, here's the deal is, um, you know, you're in the cool kids club if you're playing in the NFL and everybody wants to get to you. They want to get an autograph, they want to get a picture. And um, how do they stand out different from the crowd as they try and bring you a present, right? Like um, they knew, like when I went to University of Iowa, is a big college football town. Um, if there was a bar that said, "Hey, football players, drink and eat for free," we're all going to go there, and guess what? So is two thousand other people. They're going to load up that bar. So, you know, you don't know it at the time, but but your you going places and being present is sometimes manipulated, and they utilize you know those substances or whatever to kind of draw you in because they're going to gain from it. And I don't think that they're thinking of harmful intentions when they do it, but I mean, I mean, everybody on this call can talk about, and we won't out people, but I've seen. Tickets traded for pills coming out of hospitals, you know, like um, when you're in the NFL, like I can't remember taking my wallet out and paying for drinks, you know, going out to a bar, going to dinner or whatever. And, you know, it's it, it's it's constant, unlimited, unadulterated access to pretty much anything you want
4: on planet Earth.
0: Mm-hmm. Patrick, do you, does that sound familiar to you just in in terms of what you experienced?
4: Well, absolutely. It's like a misguided attempt to show you respect by showing you, hey, what do you need? What girl do you like? What drug do you prefer? What do you need right now to make the pain go away tonight? And they try to respect you, suck you in, and live off your celebrity a little bit, right? But it's a very dangerous place because you're in pain. And yeah, like Beasley was saying, it would be fun to meet this nice lady, to take this substance, right? But it would be the end of our career, too. So it's a very fine line. We're always um, walking.
0: Now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, as we kind of touch on this a little bit further, do any of you, did you experience, and I know Beasley shared a very personal story of someone he knew that was taken out because of this. Does anybody else on the panel know any personal stories of someone else they know or a player, not that we have to name them by name, but something else that they experienced that they wanted to share with someone else in the NFL who was impacted?
1: You know, Joy, um, I think that we all have names in the back of our head that we don't want to bring up. Uh my, my time in the NFL wasn't as long as some of the other guys on this, but I can speak to the guys I played with in the after effects. Um, I've seen quite a few of them not only take their life uh, or fall prey to addiction. And it's, it's sad. It's disheartening. But uh, another thing that is the isolation joy. So, you know, when you're when you're in the club, when you're on the team, you have an, a, a fraternity of brethren that you're sweating with, you're bleeding with, you're going to war with. And I mean, you're thick as thieves. And as much as you're still tight with those guys and you're cool with them and they're cool with you and everybody's friends, when you're not on the team anymore, that train is still moving. You're just not on it. And the, the crew that you spent your life building and the culture that you're used to, to being around evaporates in what, what, you know, Mr. Beasley spoke to. Uh, hey, I need to see you with your playbook. That you're off the train. And then you're standing there, you know, to Matt's point, saying, How am i going to provide for my family and you look around and all those people that were there every day in your life from personal handlers coaches trainers athletic trainers doctors physicians other players etc it's just it's just gone and you know thank goodness for uh beasley what he's doing with the nfl alumni what he's doing is kind of bringing everybody back together so we have that sense of camaraderie and community that we can kind of rally back with our brethren because once you're off the train on a team it, it it's over for you and that isolation Then the pain starts building up. You don't have to play anymore. So you don't have to hide your medications. You don't have to hide it. Nobody's looking anyway. And guys fall prey to falling into the bottle or falling into a jar of pills.
0: You know, just speaking of personal story, I think this is a great time. um, Derek, why you were talking about, you know, we talked about the pressures on the field. Now we're talking about the pressures a little bit off the field when you may no longer be playing. Um, Patrick, I know that was extremely difficult for you. Um, I know that there was a time that you were struggling with alcohol addiction um, pretty heavy. So take me through what you were going through when you lost or left the league and now trying to rebuild and re-identify who you even are.
4: Yeah, I was once called the American Dream by uh, Brian Baldinger, my old friend Baldy. The guys at Philly know him really well. Um This kid from Germany, you know, becoming the first German player, just a backup, free agent, making the team under Coughlin. And I didn't make that much money in the NFL, but I put all my money into real estate. I drove the used car. I didn't buy a fancy watch. I followed the playbook. And then I had 25 houses. I was building luxury homes in Jacksonville, Florida. What happened in 2008, 2009, as you guys know, I lost everything. I went from uh, driving S-Class, Rolls Royce, living in a two-minute house to foot stamps within three years. And then I, I really changed my drinking from like a social drinker, from a nice glass of red wine, you know, with a nice steak on a Friday night, to an everyday drinker. I used drinking just like I used painkillers, just to make the team, stay on the team and keep paying my team and feeding my kids. And that was a trauma that really uh, screwed me up. And thankfully to the NFL, um, The trust got me sober in Jacksonville. And then Derek and uh, the alumni got me healthy uh, over here at Desert Hope in Las Vegas. It's really changed my life to a point. I want to help people. I want to tell people it's okay to fumble the ball, but let the alumni brotherhood get you back in and help you pick up that ball and get back in the game. And Derek is helping me every day. And uh, it's a blessing to be alive right now.
0: I can imagine, like you said, going from a place where you're viewed as a hero or you know reverenced on the field to having to deal with life outside of the nfl you started out you you thought you did everything right you had a playbook but then life happened and then some of the things that you learned like you said in the nfl um through medicating or stuff or dealing with emotions led to you having this challenge but one thing i want to commend you on patrick is for seeking help because i want to transition into the stigma because a lot of people in your same situation or professional athletes may be hesitant to seek help. And that's one of the things we really want to talk about tonight. So I'm going to turn this over to Beasley. Beasley, I know, what do you see in terms of the stigma or things that are keeping athletes, professional athletes from saying, hey, let me reach out and see if I can get some help with this?
2: Well, uh, Derek uh, mentioned it. And, um, you know, when you are cut, it is so immediate and it is so complete. We've all been on teams since we were in the sixth, seventh, eighth grade. We had teammates, there were meetings, there was practice, there were games, it was traveling together. And then that separation is so powerful that guys become uh, instantly uh, lost. And and when you're lost and you feel like there's no place to turn and then you don't want your guys, you know, I was the captain of every team I played for. And so I wouldn't want my guys to know that I'm not still, you know, the guy that I was to them in the locker room and on the field. So we go silent. We, we go quiet. We, we try to keep it a secret. You know, there is that stigma that is so powerful, so pervasive that we don't want to say uh, I need help. You know, it just it goes back to what everyone on the panel was talking about, being a gladiator, being a warrior, being this uh, type A personality, being the guy in the family that if something breaks out, uh-oh, don't let me call Derek. You know, your, your, your <laughs> sister, your brother. I mean, everybody that looks at you sees you as the leader. And, um, and, and that is so painful when a guy needs help. That's why I'm so proud of Patrick. And I'm so proud of Patrick. and I'm so proud of Derek and what he's doing for, he, they are still his teammates, what he's doing for his teammates, uh, helping them uh, fight and battle through their uh, game against addiction. So we've got so many wonderful things to talk about, but we also have to talk about uh, finding a way, and that's why it, it is so wonderful to hear everyone talk tonight, Finding a way to get everyone to face this and and, and understand the stigma and what it is, and that they are loved, and that there's a hand said that there are wonderful people in this world who want to help. And so, every player and every person, non player, listening to this tonight, know that everyone, everybody is willing to help you if you just say, and you can do it privately. Just one—you don't have to announce to the world. Talk to someone. Talk to a, a clergy member. Talk to a former teacher, a former coach. Talk to a former teammate. Talk to a neighbor, someone you respect in your community. Take your hat off and say, "Please help me," because we've lost too many people to addiction, to substance abuse, uh, because they just didn't say anything. We didn't no. know if we had known, we would have helped. And that is true around this country.
0: Wow, I think that's really powerful. And Matthew, when you hear um, Beasley talking about that, like if we had known, if you had come forward, what do you say to, I know you are a spokesperson for Care Hospital, which is an addiction treatment center connected to American addiction centers. And that's something you're passionate about. So what are you, what is your message when you're out there talking to other athletes or just trying to encourage people to know they're not alone? What message are you hoping to get out?
3: You know, I think Beasley and Dirt made a point that is so, so important, the isolation piece. Um, I feel as though oftentimes when people are struggling with addiction, isolation is a huge factor in their struggles and there's a lie that you tell yourself that says, I'm the only one that's dealing with this. No one else is dealing with this. Especially you look at professional athletes and, and to Beasley's point, people looking at you like you're perfect, like your life is all in order, like you're living uh, the American dream, so to speak. But I think what we have to do, I, I firmly believe as a man of faith, that we're meant to live life in community and community is so important and plays a vital role in combating this. Uh, to me, the first thing we have to do is get ourselves out of isolation. So whether it's a family member, uh, whether you turn to faith or whatever it may be, to just be able to talk to someone about what's going on um, in your personal situation. It's so important to have some someone or something in your life that can give you an anchor, they can give you direction. They can give you accountability. And, and I think that if we can encourage more folks to do that, that's the first step to getting yourself back on track. So to me, when I hear that, and I always tell my teammates now, start thinking ahead, right? I think a lot of this can be headed off at the past by how we talk to athletes while they're still playing. You know, your identity is so tied up in who you are as a player, um, and you're so focused, hyper-focused on accomplishing your goals on the field, but I think we need men and women to start thinking about who they are and what their value is beyond the game. Because when the game is going to be taken away from all of us at some point. And if you have a, a solid foundation, if you have footing, if you have an anchor, so to speak, that's going to allow you to kind of stand on your own two feet once the game is over. That's going to give you some purpose beyond the game and hopefully provide community for you outside of the game of football. But that isolation thing is really something that we have to try to stay away from at all costs. Mm -hmm.
0: And uh, Matthew, just to piggyback on that, have you seen seen there be any fears or other things that players may have experienced? I know with you being probably a safe place, them knowing that you're connected to some Extend as a spokesperson for a treatment facility. Have players or people come to you asking for help? Have you noticed that more people are reaching out?
3: Yeah, you know I have, um, and and I've always tried to make it a point of seeking guys out. I think now as an older guy on the team, it's important for me to take time, and and just check in on how the men are doing. I don't care how you're performing on the field. You know what's going on at home. What's going on in your personal life? How are you growing as a man? And I think locker room by locker room, team by team, league by league, we have to kind of set the tone, the leaders in those settings to say, hey, it's okay to not be talking about basketball all the time or football all the time or whatever sport it is that you're playing. You know, how can we just talk about how you're doing as a person? Um, and look, that that doesn't take a lot of effort. Um, it just takes people who care. It takes people who are really invested in And their teammates, their brothers that are around them, and just being intentional relationally. And, you know, I I think it's, you know, we're looking for like a magic formula, but to me, it comes down to the the person-to-person connection, doing life together, and creating an environment that would encourage people to come forward with their problems uh, and talk about them.
0: No, I think that's huge. And Derek, you know, Beasley kind of talked about this initially, but one of the reasons why American Addiction Centers, under your direction, started a program um, for NFL players and their family to be able to come to our facilities for care was because you wanted them to know that there was a lifeline out there. And so, what have you seen, Derek, just in terms of the number of players that you've been able to help? I know we don't want to give names, but Players actually coming to say, hey, I need help. I know Patrick was joining us for a moment. Hopefully he'll be back on. But players coming saying, I need help, current and former players. What have you seen as a CEO now of a treatment facility?
1: Um, great question. But uh, before I answer that, let me, hey, Matt, let me commend you for your messaging, brother. Like, um, if you're speaking like that in the locker room, man, that is a godsend. Um, you have a gift to gab and, and you need to get your message out. You really, you know, you really conveyed that message. Well, thank you for that. And obviously, we we know how good you are at what you do too. Um, So Joy, what had happened here, if we go back is uh, one of my best friends on planet Earth, a a gentleman named Dan Cirillo, and he happens to, um, you know, be in the upper echelon of AAC, American addiction. um, He reached out to me and asked, you know, for some leadership at one of the facilities it was a good opportunity and I came up here And uh, he and I, he's a former Navy SEAL. And so we share kind of that alpha background together. And uh, he knows friends with addiction struggles, and I do too. And then I watched what he was doing with the Navy SEAL Foundation and some of these other groups. And I said, you know what? I'm just gonna pick up the phone. And I, I literally picked up the phone and called Beasley Reese on the number that comes on the NFL alumni. And the man picked up the phone, not his secretary, not an assistant, not his PR team, Mr. Beasley Reese himself picked up the phone and I said, hey, man, my name is Derek Price. Played a long time ago. You never heard of me. Nobody has. (laughs) Lucky to be there type of guy. It didn't matter to him whether I was Barry Sanders or a guy that was just there for a minute. I kind of shared with them, like, here's what I'm doing. Here's what, uh, you know, Mr. Cirillo had authorized. Mr. McWilliams, you know, the, the CEO of the company had authorized is why don't we run a campaign? Let's run a scholarship because it's not about the money, Joy. It's about saving lives. And we are talking about these alpha-type mentalities, it's a very all-in or all-out type of mentality. The guys are a little obsessed with, with if they're going to do something, they do it to the nth degree. And that includes drinking and pills. They don't party a little bit. They party all the way. Um, and I said, why don't we run a scholarship and just put it out there to the world to see if we open up the door and remove barriers, what's going to happen? And we've been flooded. We've been flooded. We've been blessed. We've been flooded. You know, Patrick is... It, you know, because he gave us permission. We can talk about him. He's here. He's current. He's patient. Um, he's living his best life right now. And and I could point to a dozen other guys that have done the same thing. And um, but they all come in, you know, hat in hand. Spirit is broken. They've surrendered. I mean, by the time you decide I'm going to publicly seek help, you know, to what Matt talked about, what Beasley spoke about. Remember, these are guys that that they have their jerseys on kids walls. They've signed autographs. They're on video games like they've been portrayed as a hero their whole life. And people look up to them and they'll, they'll pay money to stand in line to get autographs. And they're known as Super Bowl champions, as pro bowlers, as, as the, the, the clutch player. And then all of a sudden, they don't want to come out and say, oh, and by the way, I'm an alcoholic. Oh, by the way, I have an opioid problem. So they they isolate even more, which feeds into the problem of more and more and more drug abuse. You know, so... You know, I'm glad that, you know, I work for such a, a company built on generosity and truly has a singular ethos of saving lives. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Technique, technical, we're here to save lives, period, end of story. And it, it really became true to me when, you know, Andrew McWilliams and Dan Cirillo came together along with Stephen Everett and some of the other people at the upper echelon said, hey, listen, um, it's not about the money. These guys could afford it. But it's about giving them a safe place that they can come to. And I didn't have the microphone to do that. And, you know, thank goodness when I I reached out to Beasley, he picked up the phone. And, I mean, within five minutes, he's like, I'm on board. What do you want? Wow. I said, whoa, uh, can we just get the message out? Bam, next month newsletter. Bam, it was out. And since that point in time, it's been a steady feed of guys coming in. So Beasley. Literally saved lives. But Beasley, I'm going to give the credit to you, brother. Like, you didn't answer the phone. You didn't say go. We're not here today doing this.
0: Well, Beasley, you know, I think that's so powerful. You taking that moment with Derek called that just first of all shows your leadership um, in terms of the organization and being willing to do what is necessary to help these former players. So what made you say yes?
2: Joy, Joy I'm scared. that That's what made me say yes. Um, this is a tough one for me, but this is the way my heart this is the way my heart feels my biggest fear i've been the ceo going on 3 years now my biggest fear is that somebody calls here and we don't answer the phone there's no one here to pick up the phone that's my that is my nightmare now so when derek called it was a call from directed from above and uh, that that's why i'm so i'm so proud of him So thankful for Matthew, so thankful for Patrick, uh, Joy. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful for you for hosting hosting this. And I challenge everybody out there. I I humbly offer you an assignment. Do what Matthew said. Ask your friend, how's she doing? How's he doing? This is so powerful for me tonight. And I just want you guys to understand that I was lucky to pick up that phone and have this man help so many people. And there there are people and there are companies out there like that who will help. So that that's all I'll say on that. I just want you to know that uh, Thank I, I'm thankful to to Derek for calling us and for helping so many guys.
0: Yes, and as we wrap up tonight, you know, I think about Patrick, who was on with us earlier. You know, he ended up going there, and now he's in recovery. Um, from alcohol and what that means just to his life and him wanting to spread the message you know, around the world. He told me, he said, once I get out of treatment, I'm going on a, a rampage all around the country just to share my story. And I think that's the powerful thing um, that we have the opportunity to do tonight. So as we wrap up tonight, I wanted to give everyone, and actually, I think Patrick may be back to join us. So Patrick, we lost you for a minute, and I'm so glad that you were able to come back tonight because we've been talking about the impact of um, having access to care, uh, breaking free from the stigma and seeking help. How has recovery impacted your life?
4: Absolutely, I apologize. My laptop quit on me. The battery was dead. So we had to run an audible, you know? We had to change a new That's
0: <laughs> 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 okay, you made it back. We're so happy.
4: Yeah. I'm giving my life right now to recovery and talking to children and high school uh, students. There's no more stigma. The only stigma attached to addiction is when you're dead, when there's no more cry for help. Right now, don't be the person alone in your room with a bottle in one hand and a gun in the other hand. Reach out, call out to somebody. Could be a mental health counselor, could be the alumni, could be the NFLPA. Uh, I work with um, Brent Marshall's wife to be, become mental health first aid certified so there is finally some help and there's no more stigma the only stigma attached to addiction is being by yourself isolated and abusing yourself in the end that's all you do you will die a lonely death if you don't reach out for help i'm so thankful to beasley and the alumni i used to be the president of the nfl uh, chapter alumni chapter in jacksonville and the help and the courage and the support i'm getting is unbelievable now i want to give that back to my community and say there's no more stigma. If that old germ warrior was like a Coach Coughlin, yes sir, no sir guy, I never missed a practice in 20 years. But yet addiction brought me to my knees. But with the help of my comrades and my brothers and the alumni and Derek and AAC, finally I'm standing tall again. Now I want to reach out a hand to somebody who's still suffering to bring him in into the circle of life. And he's
1: lost 70 pounds while he's here, too. So I yeah, know. I
0: mean, he's got his life going right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Patrick, as we round out, I want to give everyone an opportunity to say a final word. But from your perspective, what has been the best part of recovery for you? How has it impacted your life?
4: Like in real estate, I fix the house and flip it and make some money and buy a watch. It's absolutely meaningless to me, giving a speech at night or running the AA meetings or the NA meetings here over does Desert Hope, people come to me, they give me a hug, man, that could have potentially saved my life, you changed my life. I feel like I'm making a really impact on like a ground level, on a micro level, and it makes me proud, I feel like I'm part of a family and a team again. And uh, once we leave uh, the train station, like Derek was saying, we feel so lonely and so isolated, now I feel like I can give big, I can give back to my community. So I love helping people and everything I learn, I write down and share it with the people coming in. And yeah, they give them a chance to survive.
0: Mm-hmm. And so what is life like in sobriety? Um, is it better than what you imagine? I know a lot of people that the fear of what it's going to be like not to drink or, you know, have that to cope, it's how can I do that? What would you say to people who are letting that fear keep them from getting help?
4: Well, you're always so busy, right? Like I was so busy in Jacksonville to reach out for help. And the trust has been saying for two years, you need to go to a rehab facility. I rolled in at 390 pounds and my blood pressure was 188 over 122. I was like one bad beat away of of being dead, physically dead, right? So now I enjoy my life. I love people and I just work out every day. I feel healthy, thankful. All my feelings are coming back. Uh, You can function on a higher level. You know, there's no problems, just challenges. Before that, everything was like, you know, very up and down. The swings were crazy. Now I live a very happy, mellow life. I expect a reasonably happy day every day.
0: Wow. To feel happy every day. I mean, to to see how far you come, I can only imagine that. So as a final thought from you, I'm going to start with you, Derek. You know, seeing Patrick's story and just seeing the lives that you've been able to touch. What do you think recovery can mean for professional athletes as they seek help or who may be fearful? What if I go to treatment and somebody recognizes me or all of those things? What yeah. would you say? Because I think I could only imagine that that could be, you know, a fear for some players. If
1: we're if we're truthful, Joy, it's hard um, and there's no easy road to it. And there's not an easy way to raise your hand and ask for help. You, you know, you've lived a life of not being that person. Um but I think that one of the things that we often, you know, don't talk about is when 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 that train rolls out and you're not on it anymore, you, you're in isolation, which leads to bad choices. You know, idle times the devil's playground. Um, I was fortunate. Uh, I, I found a new tribe. I found a tribe in my wife, Heather Price. I found a tribe in my children and I built my infrastructure. My team, my locker room is my family. There's nothing on this planet more important to me than my wife, Heather and my kids and then everything builds outside of that so i recreated my team my brothers my family with my actual family Um, i'm blessed to be in that position i know everybody isn't but i think that what a message i'd like to put out to everybody is hey man stop suffering in silence find a tribe of people it doesn't matter if it's the tennis club if it's a church group if it's your family if it's being around friends but remember um look at who you're with because if you're hanging out with people that are drinking and doing pills, you're probably doing it too. And, you know, don't go down that road, find the people that are going to uplift you. If you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. You're the strongest guy in the gym. You're at the wrong gym. Like, like my family's my rock. They're, they're stronger than me. They motivate me to be a better human being every day. And if, if players, when they leave that, that transition can work hard to find a network to replace that because To Matt's point, we are we're human beings. We're communal. We don't like to live in isolation. It's not normal for us. So we find that I think it helps mitigate the path to bad choices, substance, drugs and alcohol. Um, But at the same time, going back to Patrick, you know, Patrick would probably say he was broken on coming in here. It's embarrassing. Like you put up the flag, you're telling the world, I can't control my own problems. And that's an embarrassing thing to say and a lot of pride gets taken away from you. Your ego is crushed. It's hard to do. However, once you become a a member in the recovery community and you get sober, you feel so elated and so excited that 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 moment of pain is so overshadowed by the glow of your pride and exuberance of where you're at. Like, listen, Joy, don't tell my boss, but I can't get any work done around here because I can't keep Patrick out of my office. All he wants to do is come in and tell me on a day-to-day basis, let's save lives. Let's do this. Let's start a charity. I'm going to drive around the country. But if Patrick didn't pick up the phone and call Beasley, if Patrick didn't make a choice, the hardest choice he probably ever had to make, I'm going to go ahead and say that on this trajectory, tra- trajectory he was at, he'd probably be dead right now, and it's life and death. Like we talk about drinking as if like it's a social thing that maybe goes too far. No, I live in this world. I can count the obituaries per month on five of our hands around here. It is heartbreaking. This is a life or death situation. If you struggle with drugs and alcohol, you are going to leap down the path of potentially dying early. Nobody on your team wants that. Surround yourself by as many people that love you. If you don't have somebody out there, reach out to Beasley if you're an NFL guy. He will put you with a family like i i you know i've been a member of nfl alumni for a long time but it was about that three years ago mark all of a sudden they started having a real big presence and you're like ah maybe it's just emails i picked up the phone the man answered i'm telling players out there this is real you got active players you got matt over here matt's a big time player everybody knows his name he's taking his time because he wants to talk to his brothers right now patrick's coming public right now People have his jerseys. People people signed his, his cards, or he signed cards for people. He's out here saying, like, hey, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic in recovery. Why? Because we want to save lives, and that's the game now. That's the game. That's the game I play. And-
0: okay. And well, I think that was a mouthful, and I'm going to go to Beasley now, <laughs> and then we're going to end with you, Matthew. Yeah. Uh, but, Beasley, if there was any final words that you could say tonight or if anything that touched you – that you would want to leave with, you know, up and coming athletes, people who are currently in the field. If there's something you wish somebody had said to you during your time. Well, um,
2: you know, just remember who you are. Uh, You know, Patrick got lost. He found himself. Remember who you are. Uh, I don't care if male, female. Remember who you are, who you identified with when you were. At your best, when you were happiest, when you were the best you, you can get back there. The NFL teams are doing a better job of, you know, having alumni gatherings and and letting guys be a part in a small way. That was terrible. This is so important that everybody on this call is branded. Joy, I can rob all of them.
0: Mm. I
2: know their codes. All I got to do is look up their football number. And I got part of their email password. I got I, I got their bank. I got their uh I can go and open their safe because it means so much to us. I have guys called me today and I say, Hey, hey, 55. And he'll say, What's up, 28? And that number, it, it is branded on us. So just remember who you are. Remember how you fought to make a team. Remember how you Uh, The sacrifice, the hours that you put in, put that same effort in yourself like Patrick did. Follow his example. Follow his example. He he showed he shows everybody how to turn it around and how to repurpose and how to find yourself and go out and, and help others. So once again, I say to everybody out there, talk to the people in your life. And don't just not on a not superficially look them in the eye. Put your hands on their shoulders and say, "How how are you today? And, and what can I do? What can I do for you?" And I, I appreciate everybody on this call, and I appreciate your joy. Thank you so much for doing this.
0: Yeah, that was. I mean, that would you just said so much that I mean it was just very heartfelt, and I could feel you know your love for. The other players out there, and just thank you for sharing those words. And Matthew, I want to end with you. If there was a message you could give to the NFL or just to anyone who's listening from your perspective and someone who's currently in the game, what do we need to do? What needs to be the next step so that we can have conversations like we're having tonight in the locker rooms, on the field, you know, in high schools for up and coming hot um, athletes in, in colleges, what do we need to do to change that? What would you like to see from a change perspective?
3: Well, first of all, I'd I'd like to say everything that these gentlemen said tonight is just absolute pearls of wisdom. And I appreciate them sharing their perspectives with us all. Uh, I certainly have learned a lot and I think Patrick, you, you know, your life, um, the ups and downs and where you are now probably says more than I could ever say. I mean, you are a living testimony to what it means to, you know, get knocked down, uh, have the courage to step forward and ask for help, and then get back up on your feet again. It can be done. And I hope that people watching this or that may watch it in the future will see your life and find hope. It's okay to ask for help. And yes, you can overcome uh, the situations that you're in. You know, my hope has always... Uh, Been that the NFL in particular would start to see uh, players as more than just um, helmets and, and pads and a number. Um, there are men who play this game that hurt in a real way, that struggle in real, real ways, and that have problems. And I've always felt as though we needed to do more to invest in our men as people. Now, maybe that's not the responsibility of the NFL. I understand that this is big business. There's no question about that. But maybe that's our players' union. Maybe that's our alumni. You know, Whatever that may be, I think that we need to do more to cultivate community. We need to be more intentional about developing our young men off the football field so that when they leave the game, they have a sense of purpose and identity, like you heard Beasley talk about. I think, for me, that's the number one issue. When I see guys leave the game, they're lost. They don't know who they are. Uh, They don't have a strong sense of self. And their identity has been taken from them. But we need to tell our men and affirm with them that they're more than football players. They're more than a number. They're more than helmets. They're more than shoulder pads. They have a unique story that's one of one that only they can live. And that's a gift, that's a blessing from God, and I hope that they see it as such. So whatever we need to do, and it's probably gonna have to be from within, we need to continue to have that dialogue. We need to continue to invest in the people that are involved in this business. And we can take that model and hopefully take it, you know, outside of football, into the culture, into our communities. And I think there's when you'll really see real change.
0: Wow. Um, Tonight has just been so insightful. I know people writing in saying that you've inspired them, um, that they've been touched by your stories, your vulnerability tonight, your transparency, um, just your willingness to talk about this topic. So to Beasley, Derek, Patrick, and Matthew, I want to say thank you for your courage tonight to talk about this. And that is going to do it for another episode of Addiction Talk. Thank you for everyone who tuned in tonight. Make sure that you check out if you are a player, a former player, or even just anyone who's listening that's struggling. There is a number at the bottom of your screen. Call for help. Reach out to someone because you don't need to go through this alone. The panel here tonight is to let you know that there is hope and there are people who care. Thank you for joining us. Have a good night.